just to be clear, um, I am fully in support of uh, a thorough investigation. I don't have any concrete data. I've read plenty of people who think they do. But going back to my message um, from justice and race, like, let's get the data come in. President Trump has called for an investigation. The electors don't make their vote till December 14th. There certainly is enough things that happen that raise my eyebrows and go, that looks weird. So let's pray for those doing an investigation, pray for the judges and whoever, and pray that the truth of the matter would come out and that we would have the grace to accept whatever that is. Um, so absolutely, nothing I said this morning should be taken is contrary to that. Um, it's just that's not what our war is about. No. And please, please don't let me see any of you tweeting not my president or anything like that. Come on. Let's, let's. All right. All right. Okay. Uh, questions, thoughts from this morning? Oh, Lois. I have three blanks. <laughs> three blanks? I know I didn't give the last main point blank. I know that. So well, what's, I, what's your first missing actually, blank? Actually, I have two and then a separate one. The, okay. the two I didn't get was three. A call to... Stand firm. A call to stand firm. And then the last one that you didn't give. You must remain standing. Remain what? Standing. 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 Okay. Thank you. Um, And and let me me offer a clarification. I don't want to divorce this war from events in space and time. In one sense, okay, the the demons live and operate in in the the heavenly places, yet they have concrete effects on earth, right? The serpent tempts Eve. Um, Herod tries to kill Jesus and slaughters the women, uh, the children of the women, in Judea, right? Um, and we have been raised to Christ's heavenly places, and here we are on earth. There absolutely are connections. It's, it's more, if we can, the battle is an a offensive battle on us. We're playing defense. Will we be focused? Will we be faithful? Will we be vigilant? Will we, uh, Paul's going to pray that he wouldn't wimp out and not preach the gospel. And if we can then be faithful, as faithful servants of God, we will have effect in our communities. Faithful judges and investigators will root out the truth of what happened in this election. All of that will have a trickle-down effect in our community. The danger for us is to think that's where the battle is. Now, the battle is about, will I be faithful today? And if I'm faithful today, that will have effects for my neighbor and my community, no doubt. The danger is when we start thinking the battle is about reclaiming the presidency. No, there'll be implications as God's people battle of, about, in that regard. The battle's back here, whether I'll believe lies today or believe the truth, whether I'll be led astray or whether I'll be faithful in devotion to Christ. That's, that's the distinction. So it's not like it's completely abstract pie in the sky. The temptation is to shift to other things where the battle is. Does that, does that distinction make sense? Does that clarification make sense? Um, I... I went long this morning, so I didn't have time to throw that one in, but I want to make that clarification. I don't want you to think they're completely divorced from one another. Um, it's don't lose sight where the front line is, and the front line's right in my heart, right in your heart. Um, that's, that's where the front line's going to be. If we can win that battle, if we can remain standing, then we will do the things God would have us do in our community, in our nation, in our homes, and those things will follow out naturally. Okay? Oh, 
Any other questions from this morning? Don't everybody go at once. Oh, Linda. Here comes the mic. Okay, so we know that Satan is not omniscient or omnipresent. No. So um, you're globally organized. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on, I mean, do you think Satan has someone assigned to every single person to try to I don't know. derail? I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, like I said, when I get, let me tell you what we do know. Let's try to piece together what we do know. And the reason why I want to be careful of this is because... At virtually every point, when I get to look behind the curtain, things are happening I wouldn't have expected. The angelic wrestling match that lasts 21 days, wouldn't have guessed that. Job, oh, here's God and Satan having a conversation, wouldn't have guessed that. Like, if, if I were to predict what I think would happen, it's not what I see happening. So I want to stick with the script and what God has said and not venture too far. So if there's a prince of the power of Persia, I think it at least suggests different angelic, fallen angelic, uh, beings over different areas. I don't know for certain it's the case. But Ephesians, using those rank and that notion of world rulers, cosmic powers, literally the, the Greek is like a world ruler. Satan's covering the globe. And he's covering the globe and it's organized. That's clearly coming out of this. So at what level of organization, whether every, um, I don't know if there's enough angels for that to be for every person. Fallen angels. Maybe there is, I don't know. Um, it's conceivable. I don't know at what level the uh, the it breaks down of, of the organization, whether there's commanders of hundreds, commanders of thousands, commanders of tens, commanders of ones. I don't know. I mean, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christi- not Mere, no, um, The Screwtape Letters, envisions each person having their own angel and demon. Um, that could be right, but I, I, I don't have enough information to speculate. I, anyone want to weigh in on that? I mean... I guess from, from Book of Revelation, one-third of the host of heaven falls. So a third of the angelic number is what the demons are comprised of. And yet one guy had a legion, which if we take him literally is a thousand. So how many angels are there? I don't know. Um, but a third of them are playing for the other team. So it's, it's, uh, I'm just trying to make from the point from the text what I can't. There's an organization. He starts with Satan, but then it moves to the enemies. You know, um, so Satan is gunning for each and every one of us, not necessarily personally and individually, but through his organization structure, he is. That's, yeah. So I'm not saying Satan himself is attacking you. Perhaps he is, but part of his power structure is. Um, so that's, yeah. Does that. Because we can, I mean, each of us individually can clearly be led astray. Yes. And that has to come from. Besides our fleshly desires, Mm -hmm. but that still has to be initiated by something. Right, right. And I'd say that when we get to James in a few weeks, I think we get maybe four more weeks in Ephesians, and then we'll probably spend a couple weeks in Psalm 119. So actually probably in the new year is when we'll start James. James makes it clear that when we're dealing with temptation— we, we don't need to look any further than our own hearts. No one say when he's being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For no, God himself tempts no one. But each one of us is tempted when we're lured, lured and enticed by his own desires. Now, externally, the world, Satan, his demons, can manipulate and provoke our desires. But 
what's ultimately leading me astray is something inside of me. Um, if you take a piano and uh, take the sustain pedal so that the, the dampers aren't off the strings, if you play an external note, there'll be a resonant note. Whatever string, whatever note you're humming will resonate from inside the piano. And that's something I think similar. There's, there's, there's sin inside of us that resonates with the external provocation. And so I think it's even a mistake to get too focused on blaming demons. You know, sorry I did it. You know, Satan tempted me. No, James is saying, no, you don't need to look any further than your own desires. You don't need to look further than, any further than your own um, heart when it comes to temptation. So I, I don't think spiritual warfare and engaging this battle is about going out and, you know, praying against demons and things. I mean, I don't know if it's wrong to do that, but I think fundamentally it's about tending our heart. Um, one of the books I love by a Puritan. Um, what's Flavel's book's name, Jen? What? And I'd say Keeping the Heart, which is all about that, is fundamentally exactly what I'm talking about this morning. Guarding, keeping your heart for un, um, undivided devotion to Christ. Being satisfied and desiring God. That's the battle. Um, so, yeah. Second thing. Second question. Yes. Sorry, Linda. <laughs> Sorry. I'm rambling. That's so. okay. Um, so can you kind of expound on the heavenly places thing again? I think I've a while back asked this question before about how can, you know, when you said God and Satan are having a conversation about Job, but yet, you know, we're understanding that sin can't be in God's presence. Right. So, but demons can be in heavenly places. Right. I don't know, ultimately. You put, different people have attempted to put the pieces together. One of the other complicating factors is we know in the book of Revelation, I read it even this morning, Revelation 12, the, the accuser of the brethren is cast out. When does that take place? Has it taken place? Is it future yet to take place? I'm not entirely certain. Um, what's clear is despite what we know about God and his ability to endure the presence of sin, Job makes it clear Satan comes and presents himself before God, and they have a conversation. So apparently, that's possible. I mean, and in this, I'm just got I just got to go with what the text says, and like, okay, not what I would have expected. Um, and yet, we know he is cast out at some point, past, present, future. I, I'm not dogmatic on that. And this realm, I, I think, the notion of even heavenly places is not meant to be a scientific terminology. It's almost like the sphere of the spirit. You know, um, I, I think even when Paul talks about he was caught up to heavenly places, whether in this body or the spirit, I don't know. I mean, he's going out of his way. Like, this is not, you know, a doctoral thesis. <laughs> whether I had a vision, whether I had a dream, whether I was really caught up there, I don't know. Um, and so I, there's a lot of questions, I think, that remain about that. And I think it's intentionally left somewhat vague. Uh, the, the important point being the letter tells us we're raised there. Christ is already raised triumphant there. And they're there. And this is the, the, the um, theater in which God's victory will be seen. And that's the shocking thing from chapter 3. Part of what God's doing in redemption is he wants to prove a point to demons. In that sense, it's not dissimilar to the book of Job. I mean, one of the things that's remarkable from our, from our vantage point, reading the book of Job, we know what's going on. We know why Job's family gets destroyed. We know why Job gets sickened and gets blighted. Nothing in the book of Job indicates he ever finds out why. 
I mean, that's remarkable. Because when God shows up, his answer is, I'm God, who are you? Can you trust me? Did you make the heavens? Did you bring out the stars? Can you, do you think I know what I'm doing, or do you really want to question me? And, that, and it comes down to the issue of authority. God's saying, I don't need to explain myself. Even as we, the reader, have it explained to us, right? Um, so it's... God apparently wants to reveal, part of his triumph, I think, is showing these angels and demons, I think the, the inhabitants of heavenly places, his glory through, look what, I, look what I will do and what I can do through these sinful, broken people. I'm going to unite them in my son. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to unify them. I'm going to break down racial and tribal bonds. I'm going to make one new man in them, and I'm going to, through them, show my glory and wisdom. You watching angels? You watching demons? That, that's the idea, Right. Um, that's about as much as I can piece together of what's going on. And that alone is, I still think, sort of breathtaking. Like, in one sense, it means whether I go home and resist the urge to be selfish and self-centered or whether I serve my wife, like, how many angels and demons are watching, paying attention, seeing whether or not God's strength in Christ enables me to stand or not. I mean, think about it. They're watching. The whole conflict is for that audience, according to Ephesians 3. Well, because it seems like since we know that Jesus is our advocate with the Father, it's, that kind of indicates that there's an ongoing, that Satan is mm-hmm. constantly accusing us and Jesus is constantly right. defending us. Yes. So it seems like that's an ongoing... I, I tend to think the accuser of the brethren is still in court and not cast out yet. I tend to think that, Yes. I just can't be dogmatic because it's it's complicated. <laughs> um, any further thoughts with that? Any thoughts at all on any of this? Jennifer. Oh, Kevin's beating you to it. So... Yes. <clears throat> How do you balance? It seems like it's easy to sometimes fall off either side of the road. Like there's no like spiritual forces going on. It's all just my flesh or it's all spiritual forces. There's nothing in my flesh causing battle and war. So if you're talking to somebody and maybe hard things are going on or look, you know, stuff's going on in life and they end in the boat of like, man, all this spiritual warfare, all these, the evil forces are all going on and they're really strong on that side. Mm. Like, how do you think through that and, keep a balanced perspective and how do you respond to somebody like that? Does that make sense what I'm yeah, trying to yeah, ask? Yeah. yeah. I, I would go through scripture and I would try to identify what the Bible majors on and major on those things. Paul here is envisioning the scope of the battle. And so certainly it's right. If you're, I mean, a little later, it's called the flaming arrows that faith quenches. So doubts. And if you want to see standing behind your doubts, Satan, the adversary, by all means, if as well, you remember what James says, which is, but need look no further than your own heart, or in one sense, the battle is so close, it's so in tight, here's the battle, the battle's not out there, the battle's, the front line's right here, and it's about how I will respond, and so as long as you're able to keep your focus on that, if some people want to emphasize and remember more that behind my sinful heart and its desires is the world system and demons and a conspiracy. Great, if they're fighting well at that front line. 
Um, and if others just focus primarily on, this tends to be more where I dub, like, there's enough sin in my heart to damn the whole world. There's enough potential sin in my heart to damn the universe. Like, Satan doesn't, like, my heart doesn't need much help. <laughs> um, if I'm focusing on that and fighting the good fight, I think that's fine. I think the temptation can be the shifts moves off to when you start to want to identify, like, which demon is it that's attacking me? Um, was that the flesh, or was that a demon, or was it something I ate? Like, again, Job has no knowledge that it's Satan himself, personally, who's talking to God. He just knows, naked I came from the womb, the Lord gave, the Lord took away, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Um, and so I remember when Serena had some really difficult times after Abner was born. Could it be postpartum hormonal? Sure, it could have been. Could it have been a demonic attack? Sure, it could have been. Could it have been something in her own indwelling flesh? Could it be something, a bug, byproduct? I don't know. What we know we needed is to call on God for his help and grace, and he was faithful. Like, it, it doesn't ultimately matter to me whether this side of eternity we know why she had two weeks of intense panic attacks. The fact that many women experience something like that after giving birth suggests it could be hormonal. It may well be what it is. I don't know. You know? Um, so if you get focused on identifying, well, is it my flesh or is it the devil? Or That would seem an unhealthy preoccupation to me. Like, um, we're to be aware there's a conflict. We're to be aware there's a conspiracy. We ought not to be surprised at the direction the world is moving in. It, the, our enemy is organized. Um, if you want to figure it out too much and figure out whether you, I think the demon attacking me is a third in command of Northwest, like, that would probably be being distracted by the types of things Paul talks about, myths and silly fables. So I think there's some leeway and room in how far you want to see that back. I'd, I'd be looking at the fruit of it. If the fruit is this person is really fighting for holiness, like, praise God, awesome. If they're getting caught off into myths and distractions, or if they start using it as an excuse, sorry I was selfish today, but I had a particularly powerful demonic attack. I think at least three demons were assaulting me. So you got to understand, like, that would be pretty sketchy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, is, that, that, is that what you're getting at, or am I missing it? Okay. I, primarily the things like this, I just want to see what's the fruit it bears. If the fruit it bears is like I didn't realize how sad I remind myself of the enemy attacking me, and that makes me fight stronger and trust Christ more. Like that's all, Whatever that thing is that's causing you to trust God and fight sin is awesome, like more power. If it's getting you distracted and off task, then it's dangerous. You know, that's as simple as I can put it. So if remembering that there's an audience of angels and demons watching what you click on when you look on the internet helps you to be pure and holy. Awesome. You know, like, because there is. Just as we're all sitting watching what Job does. Just think of the book of Jeremy, the book of Jen, you know, <laughs> like the book of Job. That's apparently what's going on, something like that. Um, that that'll, uh, that motivates me. <laughs> um, not only is God watching, the angelic world is watching. So, if the fruit it bears is holiness, great. If you get obsessed with that and go off, like, again, I'm saying it for the third time, I'll stop. Okay, other questions, thoughts on this topic? Sarah needs a microphone. So, basically, it doesn't matter as much whether it's ourselves and our own temptations that we're fighting or a demon that we don't really know about. Yeah. 
the fight's going to look the same regardless? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, think about it. it was somebody doing a podcast asked me recently, like, do you deal with demon possession and whatever? I've never knowingly encountered someone who was demon-possessed. I'm not certain I'd be able to identify it if I did. Um, and so I don't see anywhere, and this is, this is the part with some of the uh, exorcist ministries out there that, that I find troubling. In every instance, the response is call upon God. It's not, well, you need to know whether or not it's genetics, hormonal, something you ate, a demon or even sometimes um, it can be God's discipline for our own sin, right? So, so you read the book of Deuteronomy, and part of the consequences of Israel being faithless is they're going to be something that looks an awful lot like panic attacks. At night you'll say, if only it were morning, and in morning you'll say, if only it were night, and you'll run at the sound of a trembling leaf. So it's my anxiety, God's discipline, Satan's attack, hormonal, genetic, something I ate, I don't know. Call on God. Ask for help. Like I, the solution is always what Job did. Look to God, um, and so we're aware of the potential, um, the potential sources of things. But I, I, anyone, any approach that thinks you, it's really critical that I figure which one of those things out it is, I think is is missing the mark. Certainly, if, if doctors can find something and and figure out, oh, hey, this isn't you know you're. Your body's not working properly. That can be helpful. But the key issue in my faithfulness is just looking to and trusting God, finding strength in Christ, right? So the way it gets back to verse 10, be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strengthened whether it's demonic, whether it's indwelling sin, whether it's the world system, whether it's your genetics, whether it's a disease. You know, people with thyroid problems can wrestle with depression, um, whatever the gamut is, right? Um, find strength in Christ. Look to him. I, I, there, in some of the demon possession ministries, they make a big deal out of finding the name of the demon and whatever. I, just, I think all that's a big, useless distraction. Like, as if God is going to say to his child, calling for help, oh, you don't know the demon's name, sorry. You got to cast the spell properly, and then I'll help. Um, uh-uh, uh-uh, that's, that's not the father I know, or I see revealed in scripture, so, does that, okay, thoughts, questions, anecdotes, anything? You guys are a lively bunch this morning. Okay, let me, let me take you to, I was gonna, almost read this passage this morning, let's go to Isaiah, um, Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Um, there's actually a couple passages in Isaiah this morning, actually. Um, let me get my notes here. Here we go. Okay, <clears throat> let's start with Isaiah 40, verse 12. Let's start in verse 9. This is a setup to the contrasting the greatness of God 
with the worthless, worth, worthless idols of the people. Go up on high, mount, go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marks off the heavens with a span and closes the dust of the earth in a measure and weighs the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? By the way, are you picking up these are the, this is the text, Behold Our God's taken from? The verses are paraphrasing this. And then we get this, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon could not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. And so as much as I think it's good for us to love our nation, Paul has a zeal for his, his people. As much as it's good for us to do the good we can around us, to be grieved by evil around us, America is a drop in the bucket. It's dust on the scales. It will not endure. It will, it will not be in the new heavens and the new earth. But you will, or you'll be somewhere else. You will never not be, even as our nation will cease to be at one point or another. So by all means, do whatever good you can here. Be patriotic, be loyal, be good citizens. Amen. I don't want anything I say to discount that. But just understand there are far more important things like whether you can love your neighbor this afternoon. That, that's the challenge, to realize how our hearts respond. The truth, the lies we believe, is of greater significance than who wins the election. And the election is significant, no doubt. I'm not trying to minimize the significance of our election. I'm trying to raise the significance of your and my faithfulness. How we respond to it. Do we grumble? Do we complain? Do we act in fear? Or do we, you know, trust God? That's that's the that's the point. Um, anything else? At all? Okay. Let's go to one other thing I want to show you. Um, setting up for next week. Part of the part of the um, mindset to get in, and John Piper gives this help, helpful illustration. After the Axis um, had surrendered at the end of World War II, there was still fighting that took place in the uh, with the Japanese from island to island. Um, troops who hadn't heard that their side had surrendered or not. But if you're one of the Allied soldiers fighting, you're going to fight differently, knowing that victory has already been, in one sense, achieved, right? Even while there's real conflict, you're going to fight differently. 
And so we have a king who, according to chapter 1, has already been raised above the very people we're fighting. He has already been exalted above them. They're placed under his feet. And yet, he's not exercising his rule. They're still free to rebel. They're still free to run around and, and plot and connive. Satan's still roaring around like a roaring lion. But it's meant to encourage us that the one to whom we're finding strength is the one who's already triumphed over them. There's no question, will Christ triumph? He's already been, the letter's already told us he's already been exalted. And one of the things that's interesting is that the very armor we're to put on is taken from, or at least riffing off of, Isaiah, where God goes out and fights his enemies and defeats them. The armor we're to put on is the same armor God himself Puts on in some senses. Um, it, go to Isaiah 52. It's not word for word, but Paul is certainly adapting, developing, and linking to this type of concept. Um, Isaiah 52. And ooh, verse 7, right? Um, Actually, to see that it's God, you've got to come back to verse 52, chapter verse 1, 52, 1. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, the Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing. You shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them with nothing for nothing. Now, stop it, Siri. Listening. Sorry. Apologize. Joy and gladness will be found in her, and thanksgiving, the voice of her song. Oh, no, I'm in the wrong. Sorry, I jumped over to 50. Sorry. Now, therefore, what have I here? declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord. And continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Breaking forth together into singing and waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of the nations. And the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. So the notion of the gospel adorning your feet. Because the word good news is just... What we gospel is just good news. Um, so there's the first piece of imagery, but even more explicitly is Isaiah 59. Turn to Isaiah 59. There it is. Okay. Let's pick it up in verse 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public square and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. 
The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. This is the Lord God put on righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render payment, so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon them. And my words that I've put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. So this is apocalyptic imagery of God making war. And the, the armor and the weapons that we put on, at least two pieces of it, are identical to what God arms himself with for battle. And if you turn with me to Revelation 20, what's the weapon that Jesus uses to strike down the nations? The sword of his mouth, which is the word of God. And so the very weapons we're using now are the same weapons and armor God himself will use when he returns. You ever... This is a helpful illustration. Anyone here familiar with the Lord of the Rings books? The Battle of Helm's Deep. There's this massive onslaught, and they've got to hold, they've got to hold, and then at the right time, the rider, rider on a white horse comes in with an army and delivers them. That's a helpful analogy of the battle we're engaged in. We're under siege. Christ will return on a white horse. He will defeat his enemies, and we, with him, if we are not alive, it is coming. And in Revelation 20, hold on, let me get there. I'm doing too much talking. Um, 19, actually, Revelation 19, he shows up. And so the battle we're engaged in now, and this is where it gets tricky, if, if some versions of eschatology think it's all now, there's clearly an aspect that is taking place now. The early church in Acts quotes Psalm 2, why do the nations raise the people's plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed? And that is in part fulfilled in their beatings. And so there's a sense in which this global um, struggle is playing out right now. But it comes, I believe, to a clear prophetic head at the return of the Lord. It happens and it plays itself out in a way like it's not being played out now. So the battle that we're called to is the same battle that is ended when Christ returns. Um, It's not a different battle. And yet it's going to be different when our king is here. But we see this and and the language of... um, There's a couple pieces of language that are uh, picked up. But you remember in Psalm 2, you'll rule them with a rod of iron. So look at Revelation 19, 11. Um, then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. 
He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations. And here's the link with Psalm 2. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That's linking with Isaiah 63. Um, pause, I'll come back to that in a moment. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, so this is the culmination, the eschatological culmination of this battle is Christ returning and warring. But we're using the same arms, the word of God, the sword that comes out of his mouth, we're using the same shield of faith, we're using the same breastplate of righteousness, the same helmet of salvation. And so this, the, the battle that we're caught up in is, this, is one and the same as this. This is, again, getting back to us, cosmic in scope. Our job primarily now is to remain faithful, play defense, to not be led astray, to not be taken captive, and we will triumph. On a side note, one of the reasons why... Um, we don't sing the Battle Hymn of the Republic um, as much as it's a wonderful piece of Americana, is uh, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, post-millennial, is applying to the Civil War um, the kingdom of God coming. Mine eyes have seen the glory, right? tramping out. You look at verse, they're applying the language of verse 15. He will tread the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. I don't believe that was accomplished at the Civil War. I believe it's yet to be accomplished. Um, if, you're, if you're post-millennial, which is a whole other view of eschatology, then there's a way in which you can frame that. Um, so as much as it is a wonderful, uh, it has, it's a great, strong melody. It's got great historic roots. It's, it's reminiscent of our past. Theologically, we don't agree with it. At least, I don't. And so... Um, yeah, if you read it, the per, the woman who wrote it had just done a... It's the third verse, I think. I've seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. She just took a tour of the Northern Army's war camp. And it's written to tell the Northern soldiers, you're bringing in the kingdom of God. You are agents of his wrath, eschatological wrath being poured out on the South. Well, that's a wonderful piece of propaganda. I don't think it's true. So that's why even on July 4th, we don't sing that. At least I, I don't favor singing that. Um, because as as much as it stirs it up, we want to worship in spirit and truth. Okay. That was my aside. We're almost out of time. Any other questions? Or I can let you go five minutes early. Anything else? Going once. Going twice. What? Did, I thought I heard someone whisper. Dave, you got something, Dave? Okay. Okay. Well, whatever it is, I hope it's not catching. But um, okay. You are dismissed. Thank you very much. Please don't take your kids out early.